Hey everyone, welcome to the Goody Reader Radio Show. The date is March the 3rd, 2022. So, one of the big things about the e-reader industry is the sheer amount of devices that come out of China. More e-readers are released in China than any other market on a yearly basis. And one of the big growing movements have been not just marketing and making e-readers just for the Chinese market, but expanding outwards. And this is actually quite interesting and not a lot of people are actually talking about it. In about the last six months, there's been a concentrated effort to include English on traditional Chinese e-readers. Whether they're sold in China and just have English on them to expand the base, or if resellers get their hands on them and market it themselves, they can suddenly be very relevant for an international audience. Now, a lot of these e-readers only have basically two language options, basically Mandarin and English. And there's only really a handful of brands that have really done anything in a concentrated effort. The first one, Xiaomi. This is obviously a household brand. I mean, everybody's heard of Xiaomi, whether it's because of their smartphones, their tablets, their smart line of products and so on. Lots of people have heard about it. So in the past, they've released a ton of different devices. They've done like the Ink Palm Mini, the Mi Reader, the Mi Reader Pro, the Xiaomi Moan W7. Uh, these have been released about in the last like two or three years or so. And they have just released the Moan Mix 7. So obviously that's a mouthful. But really what makes this exciting is the first Xiaomi e-reader that actually has an English option. And it's not just Xiaomi that's really doing this, but it's other makers as well. One of the most prominent is Bigme. They are a company that has been relatively new. They've been in the e-reader industry mainly for about the last three years or so. And they have just released about seven new devices. And they all have English and they're all 22 releases. And this is exciting because they actually have two color e-readers, which is pretty interesting. You know, not a lot of color e-readers are on the market with large screens. They have two different models that are 10.3 inches that are running the latest generation e-ink Kaleido 2 or Kaleido Plus technology. So just to give you a sense of what they have in their portfolio, they have the Pocket Note, B1 Lite, B1 Max, B1 Max Plus, the Carve, and then for their color offerings, they have the Carve Color and the B1 Max Plus Color. We've reviewed actually both of those devices, and they have a model called the X6. So all of these are sort of middling specs, anywhere between 7 inches and about 10.3 inches. They haven't really gone the 13.3 route yet, but these are all English, uh, in addition to Chinese, and so 
uh, Goody Reader actually partnered with Big Me now. So we actually have like dealer pricing on our website for most of their color like devices. We don't really want to carry all their devices because a lot of them just really aren't relevant to a lot of people. Whereas like color digital note taking devices with like stylus and stuff like that. Um, pretty exciting. And Onyx Books has been doing English for a long time. They've been in business for over a decade. And they, same thing, they only really targeted the Chinese market. But I think due to a lot of demand, they were sort of like, okay, roughly about three years ago, three plus years ago, they decided to have English and other language firmware on it. So they just aren't doing just Chinese and English, but they are actually sort of I've unlocked uh, Android, which is the OS that all of their devices are running on. And they just like included like 30 or 40 odd languages during like the setup, which is cool. Uh, Boyu um, is a company that's been involved in the e-reader business almost as long as Onyx Book. Same thing initially, just exclusively targeting the Chinese market. And then roughly about two and a half years ago they started doing english uh, and uh, a wide array of other languages and then all of a sudden other dealers started to pick them up and so the same with like onyx they're one of the biggest companies so there's a lot of dealers in uh, vietnam uh you know, Goody Reader is the dealer for it, but you know, they're, they're sold on Amazon. Same with Boyu, sold on Amazon, sold in a lot of places. And one of the other new devices that haven't come out yet, but is generating a tremendous amount of attention is the Huawei, Huawei, Huawei MatePad Paper. And this is like a 10.3 inch tablet with a six core processor, four gigs of RAM. It's a black and white display and it's a digital note taking device. It has like speakers, an 86% screen to body ratio. So it's like super thin and it's being released in Europe. And I heard that's supposed to support close to 45 different languages. So like all the major European ones, it's also gonna be sold in China. It'll be sold like outside of like these markets as well through various resellers so Huawei is this is their first e-ink product ever and they're getting into it with like a bang and instead of running Android like the vast majority of other devices on the market they're actually running Harmony OS so this is the first e-ink device that's ever run a true alternative to Linux and Android when it's hitting the market and, you know, this has a lot of things going for it, like Wi-Fi 6, Bluetooth 5.2. It's the first e-readers that actually have this technology. It has fast charging. Um, it comes with the M-Pencil. It has, like, 4,096 levels of pressure sensitivity. This e-reader is, like, or e-note is really going to be king when it comes out. It's like roughly anywhere between $550 and about $800 US when it does come out. It's really sort of unknown at this point. Uh, I heard mid-March is like the release date, but I have a feeling it's going to be pushed back until April. But at the very least, what all these companies like have in common is that whether it's their first e-reader or their fifth e-reader, they're embracing English. And this is a rarity for Chinese-only devices to support more than one language. Because for the most part, they're only selling these, like Xiaomi 
um, or Big Me. They're only really selling these in the Chinese market. They don't really have a wide distribution system. I mean, all of these are sold through the Goody Reader store um, because we sort of formulate relationships with like all, everybody who sells e-readers. Like you were either reaching out to them or trying to get deals done so we could like offer dealer pricing and stuff on it. And we are more willing to do that with companies that actually have like English firmware on it because a lot of people who read our publication, who listen to our podcasts, that watch our YouTube unboxing and review videos, or, you know, any of our other media channels, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and, and whatnot, it, most people who speak English, you know, and if there's so many different Chinese e-readers out there that it's not really too exciting to talk about them because, you know, not a lot of Chinese people are like listening to our show. I mean, some are, you know, who speak multiple languages and so on, but it's a small percentage. So just us talking about, you know, or doing a review of a Chinese only e-reader, it's not really compelling. It doesn't really get a lot of comments or user engagement, but suddenly if it supports English and the price is right, suddenly that is much more appealing. And I do hope that this trend does continue into the future because it's going to give these companies new revenue streams as they sign up more resellers and more dealers and they expand from selling exclusively into China to maybe selling on Amazon or selling on Newegg and opening up like additional revenue streams, whether it's that company selling them directly or whether they're going through a reseller. There's some news regarding Barnes & Noble. So this is a company that has really did a turnaround. And let me set the stage for you before I get into this segment. So I've been really critical about Barnes & Noble and Nook over the years. They had some early success when they originally released like the first generation Nook with like a color touch bar on the bottom and an e-ink screen. I thought it was innovative. There was nobody in the market that was doing something like that. And then they did like, you know, a, a, a few e-readers and then they did like the Nook color. And I mean, this was a, a time where some people were doing tablets, but Barnes and Noble did the Nook color super well. And it sold like gangbusters because a lot of people, that was their first tablet. That was their first tablet experience because you know, Barnes & Noble has like 600 plus bookstores and it's the type of device where you could like go see it in person. You can buy it. If you have any questions, you can talk to staff that was trained in it. And if you had any problems, you can just bring it back and either get a refund or swap it out for like a new model. So the company has had like a revolving door of CEOs. Some were serious about selling digital content like eBooks and Nooks and things like that. And some companies weren't. Um, and what I mean to say that is some management and CEOs just didn't care. So Nook had like a severe cost cutting measure roughly about like six years ago. Uh, they closed their Santa Clara research facility. So this was where all their R&D was done. So these were the people that designed the original Nooks, the Nook HD, the Nook HD Plus, the Nook Simple Touch, the um, Nook Color, you know, all of those really stood out in a crowd and that's because they had an actual R&D professional staff in California that was designing all of this stuff. So they closed that, they closed down their app store, they closed down like their video service, they really cut back on Nook staff, 
nobody really cared about Nook. And, and that was really evident when they, you know, when they were doing tablets and they partnered with Samsung and they were just basically taking rebranded Samsung devices and calling it Samsung for Nook. And then it was, you know, they didn't, there wasn't even Nook logos on it. There were just Samsung logos and it was just like pre-installed Nook apps. Not very compelling. So like last year, I think in, in 2020, they went from a publicly traded company to a private one. And that's because like Elliot, which was a hedge fund, had bought them out. And this was the same company that bought out Waterstones. And last week, Waterstones bought out Blackwell's books. So the whole UK physical book selling like situation is all owned by Elliot. Barnes & Noble owned by Elliot. They're all private companies now. And when Barnes & Noble went from a publicly traded company to a private company, many things changed. Uh, for instance, most of the old guard is gone. All their old PR team is gone. There's new executives in charge of the e-commerce, in charge of Nook, in charge of uh, the audiobooks situation, in charge of like digital books uh, and hard Nook hardware. So there's all these new people that are like have dual roles. Like one guy is the, in charge of like the, I believe his name is Neil uh, Strong, in charge of the website and in charge of uh, like Nook. And there's a few other people that I talk to that are in charge of various aspects of the Barnes & Noble ecosystem. So basically, in the past, if I wanted to reach out to Barnes & Noble when they were a publicly traded company, I had to go through the worst PR team in the e-reader industry. And you know me, I've been talking about e-readers and writing about e-readers since like 2008. So I've had my share of PR gatekeepers and Barnes & Noble had the worst just people like uh, Mary Ellen Keating was who was in charge of press at Nook. And she was the worst. You couldn't actually talk with anyone at Barnes & Noble unless it was through her. And most of the times, if she was just a facilitator. So if I wanted to talk to someone who was in charge of Nook, it was usually a no straight up. I want to get a Nook review unit. No, we don't send review units to blogs. You have to buy one. It's like just weird stuff like that. So most of our Nook reviews, we've had to just buy retail uh, in the States and then get them shipped to Canada or to Japan for us to review them. So it was totally terrible. But things really changed when they were a private company. They're reaching out to me personally now. And I talk to Nook executives on the phone on a daily basis. Like when they're going to do something, they... Like they talk to me first and they're like, yeah, we're planning on doing this in a couple of months. You know, this is off the record, but you know, we thought we would just like bounce ideas off of you. And you know, I've been, I've been doing that with a lot of e-reader companies over the years, you know, including Kobo, not so much as Amazon, but basically everybody else, you know, they'll tell me their roadmap six months out or a year out and just say like, you know, we're planning these devices. What do you think? And you know, because I, you know, we are the number one e-reader news site, but we also review almost every single e-reader that's ever come out. But but a few, you know, um, the the Bokeen, Notila, we didn't review. There's a few e-readers uh, out of Taiwan that are just in Chinese that, you know, um, 
didn't really find anything really compelling about it, but almost everything else we've reviewed. So, you know, basically I can name on one hand how many new devices that have come out in the last few years that we haven't reviewed, but we've reviewed a lot of stuff. So it's really nice and refreshing to have, for one, Barnes & Noble Nook Management that actually cares. And you can really tell that because they have released two e-readers. Well, they're going to re release the Nook Lite 4 in like December amidst a, a chip shortage and an EPD shortage. And they have another plan to release a new e-reader sometime in the next couple months. I don't know the name of it, but I wrote a piece that they just passed FCC. It seems as though it's an entry-level e-reader. So uh, Barnes & Noble will have maybe three SKUs. They'll have the Nook Glowlight 4, which is their mid-level the Nook Glowlight Plus, their 7.8 as their flagship model. And this new e-reader from the specs that I've seen, like processor and storage, like it's like four gigs of storage. So it, it seems to me like it's an entry level e-reader. So probably retail for like $79 or something like that. So they can kind of appeal to a wide audience. And this is the same strategy that Amazon employs with like the basic Kindle, the Kindle Paperwhite and Kindle Oasis. Kobo does the same thing, except they have an extra thing there. Their entry levels, the Nia, their mid-levels like the Libra and their high levels like either the Forma or the Ellipsa. It just depends on like how much extra money that you want to spend. But they also have like the Clara HD too. So Kobo probably has like the most SKUs out of like a North American company. Pocketbook probably takes the cake with like six or seven SKUs in our modern portfolio. But probably Big Me is probably the king right now. So Really, I could tell from talking with Barnes & Noble management that they really care. The people running the divisions like have weekly meetings with like the whole team, like the, the app team, the, the Android and iOS team, the, the e-commerce team, the hardware team, and they all just jive together now. Whereas before they were just their own fiefdoms. Like they didn't, everybody was just so insulated from each other. So, yeah, I mean, I've never had this type of access with Barnes & Noble before. And I think it's just because they generally like talking about like what they do. Um, I talked to the person that was spearheading uh, Nook Audiobooks, which is the story that I wanted to tell before I kind of gave a big rigmarole about Barnes & Noble in general because I wanted to set the scene for what they're doing. So... They have basically changed their whole audiobook experience. Uh, before, they had an app called Nook Audiobooks. They had that since about 2014. When they did the Samsung Galaxy for Nooks, that app was nowhere to be seen. It wasn't marketed. It wasn't preloaded. It wasn't anything. It was only an app that you had to find yourself on like iOS and Android. And you had to know to look for it. Barnes Noble had a website called nookaudiobooks.com. Nobody really knew about that. Again, no press releases, no social media engagement. People, it might as well not have existed. So what they have done is they shut down the Nook Audiobooks app. They shut down the dedicated Nook Audiobooks website and they've integrated everything into the main Barnes & Noble website. So if you go to barnesandnoble.com slash audiobooks, you can actually see a dedicated audiobooks landing page. If you just go to barnesandnoble.com or bnn.com and um, you look for like a book, say you type in for like run by James Patterson, or if you just like look for like the latest titles by like, you know, Lee Child or Stephen King, 
you will now see not only the print options, the Nook ebook options, which has always been, always been there, but now you have audiobook options too. So you'll have a singular product listing for everything when you search for, for Barnes & Noble uh, or titles on the Barnes & Noble like store. So their audiobook ecosystem is basically integrated now into the Nook app for Android or iOS as well as their web reader. So you can actually listen to audiobooks now and buy them directly within the app, or you can buy them online and then have them synced to all of the apps as well. Because let's face it, with iOS, nobody was really selling digital content anymore on the iOS platform just because of the Apple tax. And a lot of companies just find that it's not economically feasible to sell things on iOS and pay Apple that royalty because you know, selling comics ebooks audiobooks there's not a lot of margins for the company because you look at so basically barnes and noble selling digital content they act as an agent for the publishers so the publishers set the rate barnes and noble has to sell them at that rate and barnes and noble only makes like a small percentage points like maybe like three to four percent in revenue if they pay like apple like 20 percent revenue they're losing money for each sale. So that's why a lot of like retailers like Amazon, Kobo, Barnes & Noble don't sell things on our iOS app. Android is a little bit easier in terms of the, the you know, the, the tax that they levy. So what's new about Barnes & Noble with audiobooks? Well, they've just launched a new audiobook subscription service. It's called Barnes & Noble Audiobooks. And you pay $14.99 a month and you get one audiobook credit. These credits can be redeemed for one of 200,000 audiobooks from major publishers. And there's a free 30-day trial, which you get one credit. So this makes economic sense because unlike ebooks, audiobooks are pretty expensive. They range in price anywhere between like $15.99 to like $50 or more. Depends like if you're getting an, an anthology in just one ebook or if it's like a long ebook or there's like been a lot of production values. I find the most expensive audiobooks are usually frontless titles that just came out and they just generally have like an ensemble cast rather than just one narrator. Um, World War Z, I think, is a good example of sort of a book that a lot of people have probably heard of where they have, you know, like 50 different narrators. It's an interview style book, right? So if you if you haven't read World War Z by Max Brooks or listened to the audiobook, it's basically a zombie war and each chapter is like an interview with like somebody else. So everybody every each chapter is like the narr the narrator is like the constant and he's like interviewing people from different cultures like all over the world so like in america or india or like russia or you know all these different countries like and so you have a different narrator and they're, they're famous people you know like brad pitt ellen alta like it's like you know uh, there's a lot of famous like actors that have done you know a chapter of voice work and so that audiobook is often more expensive because there's been a lot of more production values into that so you know paying 14 dollars and getting like a lot of value out of that is something that people want to do so there's some downsides unlike audible that has multiple subscription tiers where you can get more than one credit per month that's all barnes noble has at this point they just have a a one credit only option. So are they just doing that because they just want to get people 
more heavily invested into audiobooks, and this is like a gateway to do it. And then eventually down the road, made the they'll have more than one option to to do it. And there's another downside. There's no audiobook integration in the Nook e-reader itself. The last few generations of Nooks have had Bluetooth on them, but Barnes and Noble never really did anything with Bluetooth. So it wouldn't make sense to sell audiobooks on the e-reader. And this is something that Amazon's done for like three or four years, and Kobo's just done in about the last year. So there's, there's obviously precedent, but think about it this way. Like when you sell digital content, like through Apple or, um, you know, Android, they're taking a percentage of each payment. But when you are selling the books or audiobooks or digital content yourselves on an e-reader, everything you sell, it's not like you're sharing it with anybody. Maybe the processor, like if you're paying it on your Visa card and, you know, Visa has some sort of like rate that they charge Barnes & Noble or Amex or something like that, you know, the, you know, it's a few percentage points, but you know, mostly it's way more economically feasible to sell everything on an e-reader and not have to pay taxes to like all these other companies. You're basically going to make more money. So it would make sense to sell audiobooks directly on the Nook e-readers because they already have Bluetooth. All you have to kind of design is like an audiobook player, but all of the Nook e-readers have been running Android. That's their been our operating system of choice, but you would never really know it if you've had a Nook e-reader because it's just so heavily skinned that it looks like just an e-reading experience. Kobo and Amazon have been selling audiobooks on their e-readers. They're running Linux though, so it's pretty pretty stable operating system. Uh, Linux, uh, you know, uh, a player with like, you know, just general options to increase the speed or, you know, to jump ahead to a different chapter, you know, all this, all the things you kind of need in a, in, a, in a music player app, but that's been repurposed for audiobooks. It's not super hard to do, you know, a few engineering people using like open APIs or even just an existing Android audio player and just repurposing it for yourself. And just acknowledging that you're using like an open source type of thing in your long list of like, you know, to do business with Barnes and Noble, you have to go check this box. You know, you can just have something like that in there. And I don't think a lot of people would care. So who else in the US is doing like, you know, a credit based system? There really isn't anybody. There's Kobo and there's Amazon and Everybody else, you pay a monthly fee and you get like a subscription and you can download as much content as you want. You know, uh, Kindle Unlimited does it to a point. Amazon Prime Reading does it to a point. Scribd is pretty well one of the only alternatives that you pay a monthly fee and you can just download as much as you want. Although they do throttle you after a few audiobooks and they sort of take away you know, the, the mainstream most popular stuff because they can't afford for one person 
who pays like say like 15 bucks a month to listen to hundreds of dollars worth of audiobooks that script has to pay where they're losing money on that user so they sort of they throttle people subtly behind the scenes so when you're searching for audiobooks those audiobooks don't really appear in your search anymore you have to kind of wait to the next month where your subscription is renewed and then you know boom all those titles will remain again so there's some value there but it's kind of scummy tactics so i think barnes and noble getting involved in audiobooks perfectly good i know that they're doing a soft launch right now which is why they haven't really issued any press releases on their new audiobook subscription plan they're, they plan on doing that like in the next like three weeks or so but they're basically um just letting people know that are existing Nook users that there's these options available now and they're sending them to like emails to their Nook accounts and things like that. So they're making people aware of Nook customers, but they haven't really developed signage for their stores yet, which is something that they're going to do once they start their Blitz marketing campaign in like three to four weeks. Once they work, work out some bugs with like the new Nook audiobook system, things just, you know, with a with a soft launch, that's why you do it before you start marketing it. So you could like work out any of the little bugs before you start really promoting it. The worst thing to do is like do something new, promote it, and then find out it's like buggy and not really working properly, and it just drives users away. So you gotta want to do a soft launch with your existing user base, and then have them be beta testers, basically. Oh, hey, Nook support this this feature is not working, or you know, it, it's supposed to be 0.5 before one increase in speed uh, for increasing like you know increasing the speed of like the narrator's voice, so you can get through an audiobook quicker. So, you know, I'm glad that Barnes & Noble is getting involved in audiobooks. You know, this is a type of, like, situation where they have, like, I don't know, 600 bookstores, and they could really kind of promote like that to their customers, which is kind of cool. So, you know, this week there's been a ton of e-reader news. Uh, there's, like, the TCL Next paper, which is, like, getting some, like, you know, uh, some attention, but I'm sort of jaded on TCL right now just because like their, their next paper device never came out. And now they're kind of like generating this like new tablet with like a paper-like display, not really bullish on it. So I'm not going to really like talk about it, but what I will talk about is E-Ink Kaleido 3. So this is the third generation Kaleido e-paper. So what's up with that? So basically last year, last summer, they were supposed to really, you know, that's the, on their roadmap, that's when they were supposed to release it. But there was a few extenuating factors. The pandemic closed their largest factory in China. So this created an EPD shortage. So uh, a lot of e-readers were sold out during like 2020 and 2021 remarkable good example um it was hard to buy their units super note a5x and a6x hard to find They're, they've been sold out for like months just because they can't afford to pay the surcharge that e-ink is charging for epd displays that they do have on hand whereas like you know amazon could easily afford paying a surcharge on the paperweight because you know they see the paperweight as like a loss leader you know they lose money on the hardware because 
the gateway is to digital content. A company like Kobo doesn't have the deep pockets like Amazon, but you know, they are owned by Rakuten, so they too could afford to pay the surcharge maybe lose a couple cents or a couple bucks on each device. But generally they're making a profit on hardware and but they're making a long-term profit on the users. With smaller companies like Boyu, you know, they have supply chain issues with the P6, um, the P10, the P78. You know, all of their models basically are discontinued slash sold out, even Onyx books had some problems with it too. A lot of companies told me off the record that due to the EPD shortage, they had plans to release multiple new models in 2021, but that never happened. Neither did Kaleido 3 happen. So what has happened? So basically e-ink, a lot of people in the e-reader industry share their roadmaps like with me, which is like, you know, what I mentioned with Barnes and Noble, they have internal roadmaps. They haven't shared that with me, but a lot of companies do. So what companies are telling me is that in the Q3 or Q4, they're going to be releasing Collider 3. So what is that? That's basically summer to December, like, you know, basically summer to you know, June to like December. So anytime between there, generally people tend to announce things in October and release things either late October or early November to take advantage of that Black Friday Christmas season. So they're telling me that they're all releasing new color e-readers around that time. And there's a reason why they didn't do it earlier in the year is because they didn't have new color e-ink technology. And it's always better to use new color e-paper technology when you release new devices. So e-ink, I think, is going to announce this during SID Display Week which happens in early May. And I think that they'll sort of issue press releases and pictures and stuff like that. And I'm on the fence whether I wanna go. I need to kind of confirm with E-Ink if they're gonna show that new technology there or I have to word it in such a way as, is there gonna be anything at this event that is considered new? Or, you know, is it worth my time to come to to SID Display Week? Are you just gonna show stuff that you sh normally show at these events? Or is there gonna be anything new from any of your vendors, suppliers, or you guys? You know, I have to kind of like be sneaky in the way that I ask them because they won't just come out and say it you know, we have three new things we're going to announce, but we can't tell you now, but we will tell you before the event, you know, something like that. So there's not a lot known, but they are working on it and it should be done, you know, if they're going to announce it in May, it's probably done because their Chinese factory is online again. So, I mean, what could we expect? Well, there is... 100 ppi no matter the screen size and you could only really display 5000 color combinations so i mean what does this new you know kaleido technology have that will make it be worth it for manufacturers and oems and e-reader companies to say we got to release a new model and use this new screen tech it's so much better than the last generation i mean sure how much better and, and in what capacity? I don't know. I could speculate. What I'll probably speculate and say that 
they've doubled the PPI or they've increased the PPI by like 50% or some arbitrary percentage figure. So I think 100 PPI is too small for color content beyond a six inch screen. And that we've seen 5.84 inch phones from Hisense that have used this technology. We've seen 7.8s, we've seen 10.3s, and we've seen everywhere in between. We haven't really saw a 13.3 yet, but that's because like 100 PPI color on a 13.3, it's gonna just look so washed out, sucks. So they need to increase the color combinations. They need like to at least double it. They need 10,000 colors for one, if you're using a digital note-taking device, it would open up more shades and color combinations. So you would have a wider like palette to use as a stylus to draw on these e-note devices. But on an e, like just on a basic e-reader, you know, you're using apps, you're looking at ebook cover art, you're looking at PDF files, you're looking at all this stuff and you want more colors. You want higher resolution colors. You want a wider gamut. So these are the types of things that e-ink really needs to do at a base level. Of course, they need to include their like uh, Kaleido technology to work with e-ink card at 1200 and 1250. These are new uh, high resolution, high performance screens that they've just released. Uh, the Kobo Sage Ellipsa, the Paperwhite 11th generation, and the Fujitsu Quadrono 2nd generation A584 are the only like products on the market that are using these technologies. So it's basically the bigger companies that are using this right now. And I believe that Inc. needs to include this technology into uh, like Kaleido 3 because you're going to get faster response time, less latency using a stylus on eNotes you know, 25 to 30% increase in page refresh screen and just overall performance. These are just some of the factors that this new Carta brings to the table in conjunction with Kaleido. They can really double the PPI, double the amount of colors. It will make investing in this color technology a no brainer for the companies that have already done it. Like who, who, have, who have done color devices up until now? Well, iFlyTech and iReader did out of China did Chinese only devices, but they only did Kaleido one. They didn't do Kaleido two second generation, basically probably because of sales. Big Me did first and second generation. Onyx Book did the Nova two color for their Kaleido one, and then they did like the Nova three color for their second generation Kaleido two. Um. Uh, Onyx, yeah, I mentioned on Pocketbook did the Pocketbook color and then the Pocketbook Inkpad color, which is what they're selling now. Uh, that's the first and second generation that they did. So, you know, there was more, there hasn't been a ton of different e-note companies or e-reader companies that have done color. Like Amazon and Kobo haven't done it up until this point. Will they do it in the future? Hey, I mean, if Kaleido 3 is a big advancement and colors don't look so washed out on 6-inch, 7.8-inch, 10.3-inch displays, and, they, you know, from a customer point of view, it's like, this looks pretty damn good. You know, that's the type of stuff that will encourage bigger companies like Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and Amazon to eventually adopt it. They're not going to adopt it as it stands now. I mean, just Kaleido is a work in progress. If you have invested in like a Nova 3 color, it's basically the best one that you can get 
in a, a, a 7.8 form factor right now. Um, the pocketbook ink pad color, it suffers from just content distribution. They don't really have a great bookstore where you can buy content, so you're relying on sideloading. Whereas with uh, the Nova 3 color, you can install Android apps. Like it's running a high version of Android, so you can download the Kindle app or the Nook app or, you know, the Overdrive Libby or whatever it is. You know, you can download ecosystems via Android, which is like very compelling. So, yeah, I mean, I'm excited about this. It, it remains to be seen exactly what this will be. Drop a comment below if you're reading this on the Goody Reader website or if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes or, you know, Google Podcasts or Amazon Music, you can visit our website at goodyreader.com um, and look at this podcast entry and leave some comments and let me know what you think about this. Um, as always, you can uh, check out our website again, goodyreader.com. We have social media channels, facebook.com slash goodyreader, youtube.com slash goodyreader, uh, twitter.com slash goodyreader. Those are sort of like our main social media like channels. Uh, we also run the Goody Reader store, which has been um, a huge like thing for us. Like in the last three or four years, we sell like... Um, 700, 800 e-readers and accessories and stylus and screen protectors and all that. Uh, we have sort of a bigger inventory than like Amazon or GD does combined for e-readers and stuff. So we have a lot of stuff from a lot of different brands and we are pretty proud of the way that it has grown over the years. So it's at goodyreader.com slash blog slash shop. You can visit that. We also have a Shopify store as well. I believe it's goodyreaderstore.com. So if you like uh, dealing with Shopify and that sort of ecosystem, most of our products from our main store are on, are on that as well. So that about wraps up for today's show. I don't want to like ramble too uh, on, but... You know, the Barnes & Noble Nook Audiobook subscription plan, their Nook Audiobooks in general, their concentrated effort by Chinese companies to adopt English, and some of the new different products that have come out lately. Uh, for all the latest news, goodreader.com is your online destination. So we publish like three or four stories like a day or more. We've expanded our writing team. So we've hired three new people in the last like three or four months so you might notice some new voices and uh, articles on our websites we've been doing more book reviews on our website lately because let's face it everyone who has an e-reader generally has has one already and the problem is ebook discovery or audiobook discovery how do you there's so much stuff out there how do you know what's good so we we've kind of made like a big effort to start doing these like comprehensive like reading lists. If you go to our website and click on news, we have a new section called book recommendations. And it's just like a system that, you know, we, we have something for everyone's interest, you know, whether it's like fantasy or autobiographies or mysteries or science fiction and all this type of stuff. I and mean, we don't hit every genre because like we only have so much time to do it, but we've hit all the major genres, you know, paranormal romance and stuff like that. So, so we, you know, we're, we're, we're trying our best to 
give you guys all sorts of like new content to like consume on the website and you know always be growing that's the that's the big challenge for news websites and growing um the ones that remain stagnant are like the ones that eventually like go out of business or disappear one man operations they tend to have like more staying power like the ebook reader uh blog written by that nathan guy you know, yeah, he's been in business for a pretty long time. The Digital Reader by Nate. Uh, I don't know his last name. I don't really read him. But apparently he shuttered down his blog and started like this new website building business for indie authors. I have no way of how that's going. But, you know, those are two websites that like never really grown or tried doing different things which is why they kind of stagnate and don't really do too many posts or you know there's so many other like news websites that are either on a downward trend they're not writing very much or they had to like let go of more of their staff i'm talking more of like the e-reader sites because that's sort of like you know who we compete with and you know, I've seen so many that have just closed over the years where it's like, we don't really have too much competition left for reviews for, you know, you, you know, YouTube we've, I think one of the things that about our YouTube channel, just in general, if you've seen any of our videos, like in the last couple of years is that our production values have definitely leveled up. So we were like, a health elf bard, we're probably like level six now. When we first started in like 2007, we were like level one. I think maybe at times we even like lost the level uh, at times. So D&D people will sort of get that reference. But we have, you know, invest, we're always investing in like lighting, buying new lighting systems, buying new cameras and things like that. So we shoot a lot in 4K now. Some of our YouTube lives coverage stuff has like been hit or miss, but I think the last one that we did with like me and Peter, which is sort of like the last podcast that we uploaded to all the podcast networks, we uh, tried out Zoom. Uh, we were doing Zoom for for a long time and they cap you at like 720p and uh, they have a big Zoom logo, which kind of sucks. Our latest one, we did it through like OBS and Skype and we we're able to stream it live at a very high bit rate at 4k and that turned out super well mic levels were super great it was just like you know we wanted to get away from doing zoom for like our me and peter's like monthly show on youtube where we do like a youtube live you can see us talking in person and pull up screen shares for like exciting things show you guys pictures or videos and stuff like that it's, it's a real fun time we do it on the last sunday of every month so you can check out our youtube channel uh, youtube.com slash goodyreader but yeah i mean our, our production levels have really increased which i'm i'm pretty happy about because if you look at where we came from even like four years ago it was just like 1080p cameras we were we didn't really have great mics you know and if you go back even like four years before that we didn't have any lights we we know relied on natural light we used like 720p camcorders with like no stands you know so we've definitely grown and i think it's important for news media organizations, especially ones that are bootstrapped like us, where we don't have investors, everything that we've, you know, all the success and failures are just because of like finances and revenue and just not having the money to invest in like better cameras. But we didn't know any better. You know, when you start out, it's like, 
you know, hey, a lot of YouTubes are just, you know, shot on their smartphone. We should probably do at least camcorders. And then it's like, okay, now we need like gyro stabilizations for like our mics. Now we need like, you know, LED like studio lights that don't emit heat because traditional bulb lights burn out. And the worst thing to do is when you're filming for the day, bulbs, bulbs burnt out and you have nowhere to actually go to buy bulbs because it's like professional studio lighting. And finding those like is very uh, challenging. So went from like studio bulb lighting to like LEDs to gyro stabilization mounts to like racks where like you can put a camera and then you could like do these sweeping panoramic like drops without like the camera shaking or moving and stuff like that so yeah i mean i think the, the like the videos that we've done in about the last year for like our reviews and unboxing videos um different camera angles like different way of shooting video i think it stands out amongst like the tech world even like against like reviews again by like the verge or like ian gadget or like zednet i think like our our videos now really hold up really well against them in terms of just overall production quality so it's like everything like hiring new writers changing up like our other way that we present our videos like on youtube to to trying out new new things to, to write about new writing styles new voices the worst thing that you could do when you do anything is just to be stagnant to just like to never grow and i think that's just as as people you know if we're not really growing or evolving it's you're just you're holding yourself back it's like people who read and they just they they read one genre and they never really expand out of that genre i, I was reading a lot of fantasy you know uh between like nine and twelve you know that that was my jam i was just reading a lot of fantasy books and then you know i started like who is this William Gibson guy, you know, so, you know, going into science fiction and then it's like, you know, maybe I want, I want to, you know, I really like this guy's like books. Oh, he has an autobiography and I'll read that. And then it's like, you know, expanding into memoirs and, and autobiographies and, you know, never really being stagnant in my reading habits, but just like constantly trying out new writers, new genres, different like authors and of course i still have my perennial favorites i'll read anything that they write but you know they come up with new a lot of writers come up with books every three or four years so what are you gonna not read books you know i read like a book a week you know sometimes every two weeks so i'm always doing it so you know i, I have that philosophy about, it, about like everything really just stang stagnant it's like like a stagnant and like solitary person like where you're not really exercising or moving too much it's like you have health problems you know because it's just like you're stagnant whereas you should be walking or exercising or, or doing this type of stuff so that creates problems like stagnation is death man so that is, that's at least my philosophy anyways if you have anything different let me know. So you've been listening to another compelling edition of the Goody Reader Radio Show. Everybody take care.